It's ad break time. I'm pleased to announce that the Beyond Solitaire podcast remains proudly sponsored by Central Michigan University's Center for Learning Through Games and Simulations. And as usual, they really are up to amazing things. CLGS's latest game, 500-Year-Old Vampire, recently finished a very successful campaign on BackerKit. But if you forgot to back it, it's not too late. Keep an eye on the BackerKit page because pre-orders will soon be available. I also want to plug my own Patreon. Your support means a lot to me, both emotionally and financially. It's Patreon money that makes it possible to keep improving my channel by upgrading the equipment. And I'm also hoping to increase the amount of videos I can publish over the course of the next year. If you want to help out, head over to patreon.com slash beyond solitaire. For now, though, let's get on with the show. Hey, gamers, this is Liz Davidson from Beyond Solitaire. And this week on the podcast, we have a very special guest. This is Dr. Mike Nerdall. He is a senior lecturer in classics at Bowdoin College and a gamer like us. How are you doing today, Mike? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. I'm so glad that you're here. Uh, so what do you currently teach as a senior lecturer? Just to kind of get a sense of uh, what you're up to. Yeah, my primary classes are the introductory Latin sequence. Uh, I teach a lot of Homeric Greek. Um, I teach classical mythology. So that's uh, our largest class, about 50 students. And uh, I usually will teach an advanced Latin course every year or two. And then... Um, a uh, history course on the Roman Republic. Excellent. All things that I personally would love to take again. (laughs) (laughs) And you also like to, uh, you like to game with your students, which is why I've got you on here. So um, do you want to give us kind of like a rundown of the kinds of games that you play in your classes and which types of classes seem best for that? Yeah. Uh, Well, I like to, uh, first I'll say, Uh, I love experimenting with games in every classroom. So um, about the only type of class I haven't tried to put a game in is an intermediate level Latin course or intermediate level Greek. But um, yeah, in my classical myth course, for example, um, I do a lot of role immersion games in all my courses. Um, And so in my classical myth course, I have the students take on roles of uh, heroes from the Trojan War. And um, in my uh, mid-Republican Rome class, I have the students take on roles of uh, ancient Roman senators in the second century BC, and they have to negotiate the Senate and guide its foreign policy and pass laws and get elected and things like that. And uh, I've also um, taught actually reacting to the past type games. So... Uh, which uh, are a big hit. I taught a class called Reacting to Democracy with uh, Patrick Rail, a uh, colleague of mine in the history department. And we did uh, two of the games, the um, Threshold of Democracy, which was Ancient Athens. And then we did a kind of comparison with that when they later did the Constitutional Convention game. So, um, yeah. and But I've also included, incorporated um, the uh, Falling Sky game by uh, GMT. And I incorporated that into an advanced Latin class on Julius Caesar. Awesome. So when you say role immersion, you mentioned that you've done reacting to the past before. Um, if people are regular listeners to this podcast, we've definitely talked about reacting to the past on here a few times. But what is role mm-hmm. immersion and how is that different? Yeah, uh, well, I consider reacting generally role immersion. So I would say that there's a lot of overlap there. Uh, role immersion. Um, so. Uh, with most reacting games, it's kind of uh, so role immersion, right? They they take on the role of a historical figure, right? With as much historical detail as you can provide or want to provide, in order to well, 
in reacting to the past, right, there's basically factions. Like uh, that's one of the core elements of their gameplay is faction. So you're usually in a group and you have a set of beliefs and you operate within those beliefs and as a team to try and get, you know, your goals passed through debate and argument and deal making outside of class. And uh, so my Trojan War game that takes place in a mythology course is very much a reacting based course uh, class. So that game is, uh, there's factions, you make deals within the factions and with other factions, you try to convince the people who are on the fence, uh, etc. Um, my Roman Senate game that I teach in the Mid Republic is, I would say, more fully role immersive in that um, the students decide what they want to uh, do, and I throw events at them that are occurring in the Roman world, and they have to react to them. And so I have no idea what they're going to talk about from game to game. Their characters have um, goals, but unlike in reacting games where most sessions are like this, this one is about a debate about Socrates. And this one is a debate about, you know, are we going to pardon the Athenians who were, uh, you know, part of the oligarchic rebellion and things like that. Um, in the Senate game, the students get to choose, okay, uh, whoever's elected gets to run that Senate session. And so it's, it's much more open. It's, uh, so whereas I, I find more reacting games tend to be more railroadish, the uh, my Senate game is more sandboxish in that the students I have no idea who's going to be in charge and therefore I have no idea who's going to um, decide on what they want to talk about and things like that. So for me, role immersion incorporates all of those different variations, and I don't um, find one version like better or anything like that. Some students respond better to the sandbox; others like the railroad. So. So you are a game designer in your own right, it sounds like, which is awesome. So when you are creating role immersion games for the classroom, um, what kind of scope of agency do you give to your students? So you mentioned it's sort of sandbox-ish. How do you give students the freedom to play in a sandbox while also holding them to, I'm assuming what you want them to be learning and then embodying about history and about Roman concepts that you would be teaching? Yeah. So. Um, in terms of um, giving them their own sort of autonomy, I guess. Uh, in the classical myth game, so the Trojan War game, there's not too much they can do. They can propose ideas to me, but uh, that one is more it, like, like the reacting system, right? It's pretty tight and they've got ways of like kind of keeping them from, from going too far outside the box. And that's an intro level class, so I don't want them to feel too... Um, like they can push the envelope and cause too much chaos in that. I want them to more experience what these ancient figures were thinking and feeling and why they would argue for, uh, for example, sacrificing a young woman so that they could go off to Troy, right? Um, or that they should give the armor to Ajax versus Odysseus, right? Why would you give it to a, a clever fellow who doesn't like to fight in the front lines versus a big guy who is always in the front lines? Uh, so those are two of the debates that they would uh, uh, deal with in uh, the Trojan War game. And in the Republic of Rome game, I basically just give them personalities and characters, and I give them friends that they can rely on. And then I just say, yeah, have at it. Um, and in terms of like legitimacy, um, you know, I teach that class fairly late in the semester. So they've had a lot of experience with how the Senate works and how the elections work. Um, and uh, so 
yeah, they have to uh, figure out uh, what they can do. And there's certain people with more influence. And uh, yeah, but if they want to go totally off the rails and do some uh, kind of nutty things, they can. But it's interesting. They're, they're so, over the course of the class, they really understand how conservative the Roman Senate of the Republic was, uh, at least until the very late uh, period. And uh, so that's like, uh, that's very comforting to them. <laughs> so the ones who want to rebel against that are very, very careful and do it outside of the public sphere. Yeah. Um, and in terms of like pure accountability, they also have to explain their actions. So like one of the assignments is they, um, they have to re record themselves as a descendant of this figure explaining the career of the character they played and so if they get you know how are you going to explain it if you know in 190 bc you you hired a foreign army and invaded rome right but that's going to be tough to pull off within the, the scope of the historical era, era that we were looking at oh that makes a lot of sense so what kind of other assignments do you graft on like that the recording yourself actually sounds really interesting one thing i always wonder about with classroom games is how do you grade them um you know and reacting has its own answers but uh what sorts of um you know accountability checkers do you place on these games and how do they fold into the game itself versus be something a little separate yeah so in terms of uh grading for the reacting type of course, so like my Trojan War course, I've got, I'm pretty happy with how I've got that. Um, they have one big paper they have to write for it that is a longer version of the speech that they actually have to give. So I grade both parts of that, both the clarity of the speech and the delivery and the, um, the written portion, the written portion, excuse me. And, um, and then I also, I give a small portion of the grade um to accomplishing things so i'll assign like reacting to the past commonly has point systems for each character and faction for if you accomplish things and that's kind of a, a fun gamey thing that they can keep track of and it's if they completely bomb on that they still won't get a really bad grade so long as they did well on the other portions um and that it all part of that grade also includes you know attendance and just even contributing um in uh, sort of impromptu arguments and debates. Uh, in terms of the, the Republic class, that one's much trickier with a sandbox, right? Uh, there are so many different dynamics. And so I base the vast majority of that score on the quality of the recording. You know, did you hit all the points that I address um, in the, the sort of standard rubric? And also like, um, you know, did you explain every important piece, right? Like, so why didn't you achieve each goal or how did you achieve each goal? And so long as I get a clear answer for those sorts of things, uh, I'm generally pretty happy with those. But yeah, grading uh, role immersion is always, it's an evolutionary process. I'm trying to figure out, you know, um, if I'm clear enough on what my expectations are and, and things like that. So the more expectations you can give them and the more very clear bullet point type uh, rubric you can even present them that helps a lot and but there's still always a little bit of a um, you know one of us is kind of missing the expectations of what the other wants so yeah if yeah, you figured it out let me know 
<laughs> no, actually, we um we tried the Catalan game for the first time, like I think at my high school at the end of this past year, and um I learned a lot from the experience. I would say the kids enjoyed it. I didn't quite get the results I wanted out of it, um, but I also think that that is part of like learning how to prep students for an experience like this, and you know yep. give them a model for how you really want them to engage. So I actually was going to ask, how do you? I guess, prepare your students to engage with a game in the way that you want them to. Yeah, well, um, so a lot of this I've learned through experience. So the first thing I would say is if you're interested in trying this, just try it. You know, it's not going to go perfectly, but it's going to go better than you expect, I generally think. Like, um, and the students will always remember it because they don't do this much, much of this sort of thing. Um, and so uh, one thing I do is I actually have a document called How to Write a Trojan War Paper that explains to the students like the perspective they need to write in. I warn them about uh, uh, you know anachronism and thing like things like that, and uh, I have very clear you know expectations like you know uh, in terms of citation and things like that. And so those papers have been really really good. Um, and then in terms of prepping them for gameplay itself, uh, I spend a, a day or two uh, ahead of time explaining them. I give them the, the user manuals that I've written um, at least a week in advance so they can peruse them. Um, you know, I warn them, don't share what's on your role sheet, that people can take that and, uh, you know, use it against you. And uh, I warn them that it's gonna be scary, and it's gonna be unusual, that, uh, they're not going to be 100% clear on what to do and, you know, to come see me if, if that's the case. So, um, yeah, I just try to be very open also that, uh, you know, in a way, they're all playtesting this for me still, right? Even though I've done them several times. And uh, so, you know, it's it's not perfectly balanced game. And in, and in the Roman Republic game, it absolutely is not meant to be because each, I mean, I'll have to tell you, right, senatorial families certain senatorial families seem to always coincidentally rise to the top, whereas others never, you know, that's why there were no we homines, right? People who had to finally break through. Um, and, uh, you know, and I warn them, give them as much advice ahead of time, tell them, hey, this is going to be weird and different and, you know, try to enjoy it. And, you know, and they're, they're so risk averse too. They're a little worried about grades. So I always try to, <laughs> the weird parts are not going to be what you're graded on, you know? Yeah, I have to spend a lot of time like developing trust with my students before I give them something that's too weird because oh, yeah. I need them to trust that I'm not going to like give them a really hard slap in the grade book for not doing something exactly right. It takes a lot of prep yeah. to get them to that state of like vulnerability. Yeah, absolutely. That's a, that's a great thing to say. Uh, in fact, uh, yeah, that's when I hold my um, my uh, when I run the games in the course of my semester, I do them late. So usually April in the spring semester or November in the fall semester. And uh, yeah, particularly with a big 1000 level class, which has 50 some students, which is stretching the boundaries of any reacting to the past type game, I think. Um, and so uh, that one, I really wanna make sure like, look, I know this, it's scary to stand up and talk to uh, 50 kids, you know, uh, but you know, we'll all do it and, um, you know, and I also like, if they really don't think that they can take it, 
uh, I'd give them an out, you know. Uh, but no one took me up on it this past semester, so. Excellent. Yeah, I've noticed a big fear of public speaking among my current crops of students. Uh, it takes a lot of work to get them to be willing to especially stand up in front of other people and present. I'm really curious about like kind of what our Zoom years have done to us on that. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, uh, the students had some, you know, uneven, uh, uneven responses past post COVID. Um, and so I thought, you know, okay, they're probably very scared or very nervous, very anxious about doing this. And um, so I, but I said, all right, I'm assigning all of you to do a speech or to run a meeting or something very, you know, public figurey. And so if you don't want to, I encourage you to be brave and to try it. But if you don't want to, just come talk to me or, you know, just even say, I, I can't do this. Um, but nobody, nobody took me up on that offer. So, yeah. That's awesome. So I'm encouraged. Yeah. Maybe they've so, recovered a bit more. <laughs> <laughs> let's hope. Uh, so for mythology. Um, so this is something I was wondering about as you were mentioning doing a mythology game. And it sounds like you're picking some tough topics. Like, do we sacrifice Agamemnon's daughter? Like, this is going to go great. Right. Um, but, you know, within the high school Latin community, we have a lot of kind of uncomfortable conversations, especially in competitive level stuff where we, we have students who are studying mythology in depth. And, you know, mythology is not a very nice subject. Like there are lots of sexual assaults and people take concubines and the Trojans, like the Trojan women is like the saddest thing I've ever read. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, you're asking students to kind of step into these extremely morally ambiguous, like difficult kind of roles. How do you prep them for that? And is that ever a point of sensitivity for your students? I feel like mythology is more fraught to teach than it's ever been before. Yeah, it has. And yet um, there's lots more opportunities, right? Um, so with myth, right? So we do it so late in the semester that they have seen just about everything. You know, they've seen Oedipus so they've, and they've seen, you know, the way that Zeus behaves. They've seen how Poseidon behaves. Um, they've seen what Dionysus is, whatever he is, you know, and uh, they've read a lot of Ovid. And I also started having them read um, uh, Nina McLaughlin's book, Wake Siren. And I'm not sure if you've read that, but she basically takes the point of view. Uh, she does sh short story versions of... Um, uh, female figures from Ovid's Metamorphoses, and they and she re reimagines what they're going through, typically from their point of view, but not always. And she has this wide variety of these really incredible ways of telling the story. And some of those hit like really hard. You know, a lot of them, they're, um, you know, almost every female figure in Ovid's Metamorphoses has to do with a sexual assault of some sort or some sort of violence. And uh, so she doesn't pull any punches. And so by the time that they have to read three of those and some of them are really, really dark. And uh, so my warnings are about those. And by the time we get to the Trojan War, like they're kind of ready for all the different things that are coming. And at that point, it's um, okay. You've seen like all these very negative things. Now you have to figure out how to argue for and against them. Right. In uh, in a different, in a different context, right. Of uh, um you know, war and understanding like what the role of the gods is and uh, yeah, all these really complicated, very distant things for us to try to understand. Oh, that's really interesting. Also, I have just looked up Wake Siren and put it on my 
to read list because that sounds really good. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. And uh, yeah, I brought Nina here a few years ago, actually uh, before we were fully back from COVID and she's just a cool down to earth person. So, yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. So um, you mentioned that you do a variety of things in your classroom. So it sounds like most of the games that you design for your students and that you, and that you implement in class are what you would call role immersion games. Uh, but what other kinds of games have made it in and in what context? Yeah. Okay. So, uh, I basically have two answers for this. Um, so, um, okay. Yeah. So, uh, what I, feel like I had the most success with was teaching an advanced Latin class on Julius Caesar. And about midway through the semester, after reading pretty much all of the Gallic Wars in English, and then also reading a bunch of it in, in Latin, um, about halfway through the semester, we met and did uh, the Falling Sky, uh, the Gallic Revolt against Caesar. And the students, I had eight of them, which was uh, quite fortunate numbers wise. And so the four factions um, each had two students who volunteered to run these factions. And so two of them were Caesar and the Romans, two were the Ijui, the nominal allies of the Romans, two were the Belgians, right? The pretty, uh, one of the big dire opponents of Rome. And then two were the Arverni where Vercingetorix, uh, right? Uh, came up and led the great revolt. And so we did the scenario of the great revolt and so uh, the Arverni start in a much stronger position in that scenario. And uh, so because we had been reading book six and that was right before the, you know, um, the Gauls uh, had their great revolt against Caesar. Um, and so the students had to, um, I had them uh, play the game uh, and analyze, you know, what, how everything was represented. And then they also wrote papers about it. And they also had to write a, a pre-game strategy as to how they think they would defeat or win the game, beat the other people based on the victory conditions. Um, and so they, you know, they commented on whether or not they thought the victory conditions were fair um, and things of that nature. So it was a very self-reflective exercise. And, you know, we looked at all sorts of things about how the game presents that history and that period of history, um, including like the map, and how the default conditions on the map are subdued tribes and um, all this sorts of thing. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. That's and then really we played, we played it. Uh, how did you, how did they do with coin? You know, coin, you know, within the gaming community, a lot of people, you know, you say it and people are like, ooh, you know, it's a little shiver of, um, you know, a fear, but, uh, you know, how did your mm -hmm. students do with a fairly heavy game with some fairly complicated interlocking mechanisms? Yeah, they did pretty well. I mean, I had them watch a how to play video ahead of time. And, um, you know, we, I gave them two play sessions. The first one, they somehow, we had two, three hour game sessions and somehow the Arverni figured out how to wipe out the Romans right right before winter on the you know in the second year and they actually won the game in in about three hours there um Ooh. it was pretty amazing <laughs> so they must have the whoever played the arverni uh, uh i remember them they just super clever so uh and they figured it out and so the problem really wasn't with the, the rules are actually fairly straightforward you know you only have a set number of things you can do you you don't go every turn uh, sometimes you have to sit and watch what the others are doing. 
but you know the the issue more was one of like um the complication like okay should we do this or this and if they didn't just take the event card that usually made it pretty straightforward but a lot of times trying to set things up so that they would be able to do what they wanted to do um and that terms like thinking long-term strategy kind of hung them up and it might take a little while and that's what they were most frustrated by was you know sometimes they had to wait like 10 minutes or so for two people to negotiate a turn um yeah ah, that sounds like pretty typical coin play <laughs> yeah yeah exactly right. <laughs> are there any other board games about ancient rome that you recommend for the classroom uh for the classroom i would have to um well i would like to do something on you know i mean uh like Rome and religion, so that like the game Messiah, I think would be an interesting one to, to play within that context, where you can um, talk about uh, what's going on with religion and, and you know, the, uh, how representative are these factions and the way that things are voted on and, you know, and that's a relatively straightforward game. Um, yeah, I don't know any of the other ones really like. Um, it would depend like topics wise, I always like to kind of supplement them, mm -hmm. but I think my, my brain always ends up going more towards um, uh, like role immersion for that case. Cause then, you know, they're debating more and they're discussing ideas more. Like there's lots of representative things, right? Like you were talking about, we were talking before the, the recording here about pandemic fall of Rome. Like that's really interesting, right? Because pandemic is a game about an infectious disease that you need to stop. And then here we've got Pandemic Fall of Rome, and it's about these barbarians invading Rome that you have got to stop, right? And of course, the his historical background of it is much more complicated. And the Romans were both inviting these people and trying to manipulate them at the same time. And, you know, so, uh, and then they have different relationships with each of these different um, peoples that are coming in. Um, so that's like um, that kind of external slash contextual, I guess, rhetoric about the game is always really fascinating. So it's to play it, uh, play a short game like that, relatively short, right, compared to a coin game, and then see like, uh, yeah, how what does this say about this time period? So I like just even simple games like that, right, um, are pretty interesting because you can, um, you know, you'll have these impressions and you can say, well, you know, is this representative, is this, uh, in what ways is this accurate? What did you like about the way the Romans are presented or the way the Greeks are presented or the way the, uh, you know, the Vandals are represented or things like that. So any game can be that good. Um, I'm not sure if it'll always fit really ideally into the classroom setting, right. but one of the things I tried to do was to set like a weekly gaming session. And then we would just play something short, like um, Foundations of Rome or something like that, um, which is a big, beautiful game that the students like looking at. And, uh, you know, and then talk about it. Like, is this, is this what Rome would have looked like? And, you know, things like that. So what do you think that you, what got you started with gaming in your classroom and, and made you think it would be a good idea in the first place. And then over time, um, what have you found that gaming gives you pedagogically that other things don't? Okay. Uh, write these down. <laughs> Okay. Uh, 
Yeah, so why I started to include games in the first place. So, um, I mean, I love games. I love playing them. I played Dungeons and Dragons from when I was very young and all sorts of other role-playing games in different settings. Um, and like uh, Paranoia, Boot Hill, things like that. And so uh, I really liked the, you know, dynamism, right? You can, you can create a game in any situation. And um, I also really liked the Avalon Hill game, Republic of Rome. And I really liked the system oh, on yeah. that, that you would, you know, there was so much debate. And then, you know, eventually you're trying to take over Rome and things like that. But I like the, the I actually like the early Republic scenarios where it's much less about taking over Rome and trying to just become the most important person at Rome like a Scipio or something. And so that really stuck with me. And, I, and then I heard about reacting to the past type games. And I was like, hey, you know, why not put this system into a classroom? And I had never played reacting, but I had played Republic of Rome, uh, the old Avalon Hill game. And so from there, I just started kind of created a, a year by year type game, which is how Republic of Rome works with external sort of events that this, the game that you have to apply uh, take care of while you're playing the game. And, uh, so I came up with, a, I developed a system and, uh, had a very, it was very different, right. Than the, the current version. Like I did, had a historical figures that the, that I named after the students and things like that. And, um, which was fun in its own way. Uh, but I accidentally made two, two characters and be twins. And so their name only had one letter difference between them. And I kept confusing them. <laughs> so don't, don't ever do that um <clears throat> yeah and then i was like well i'm just gonna do this right i want to i really like this game it fits really nicely and let's see what happens and uh from there i was hooked yeah and what it brought was just um a whole different way of thinking about the game and and or thinking about the material and uh it, it's like a way of a the way I constructed my Republic of Rome class is that they learn all this history about how the Republic worked and what was going on and what were the values of the Romans who were politicians. And then they had to be those people. And so they had to try to, you know, uh, come to grips with the ambition and the procedures and the biases and the culture uh, all together and collectively and you know um in a lot of ways they like adopting these personae the romans i think are particularly straightforward because i think they equate pretty easily in a lot of ways to conservative um american classical republicanism and things like that uh there's a lot of i think overlap there which made it easy and um you know so so they just really enjoyed and so what i get out of that is that they have this just they take to it so well and they really enjoy like the difficulty of the different way of thinking um i'm a big proponent of get your foot in the door right so you want to get the students excited about things and so that means to me just let's try all sorts of different teaching methods so lectures uh make videos turn a lecture class into a discussion group have like a, a little mini game about being tribunes and trying to shout down tribunes and things like that for one day. And then let's have a, a month long immersion game. Right. Um, so I really, you know, and let's read uh, more reception pieces, right. Like Nina McLaughlin um, uh, for the myth class. And so 
that's what gaming did. Gaming was the first kind of step into this new way of, of um, or a different way of teaching that opened all sorts of doors to all the other things that, hey, you know, students who were good, but not great, suddenly became great in uh, this um, experience. And so that's really what it ends up giving me. That's awesome. So we've talked a lot about kind of more high concept role immersion history class games. Do you also play games with your language students in the early levels? And if so, what's what uh, are you trying? Yeah, I've tried some. Um, definitely, like I can't help it. Uh, so I've done two things. I've done this kind of thing where they create these little mini characters and then I give them, they have to compose Latin. And if they compose Latin, they get advantages on their dice rolls to like, uh, to, um, I, you know, trade goods with a, you know, a neighbor or to um, uh, do other sort of various little tasks um, that uh, are based in the Latin world, right? So they create kind of uh, just nominal everyday roman figures they get some little bit of stats they roll dice and if they've done well on their latin for the day um they get a little bonus to the to that and then they they get something called gloria right and then they boost up and things like that um that was pretty fun um <laughs> it was there's a lot of work i wasn't i felt uh well I, I need to revisit all of these different ideas and then um more recently i tried to um Hack Sleeping Gods, the um, it's like uh, a game where you bop around a sort of fantasy um, sea, and you go to these different islands, and you have these different types of encounters. And so I tried to hack that and turn that into my into a Latin game. And that was where each stop they had to complete a different kind of mini game with a Latin task. And that part was really cool. And I uh, came up with a bunch of we didn't get through everything that I wanted to by the end of the semester. And then we had a end of semester gathering and I gave them all the puzzles that they hadn't had a chance to get to. And they loved those. So, um, so I would like to, to do more with that, but I definitely need to streamline things because it got a little too complicated. <laughs> That's my problem is I'm always making them too complicated. It's like, <laughs> so. <laughs> no, I feel that. Um, I, for my classes, I do. I also like to hack games. So I'm really pleased to hear somebody else say it. Um, but mm -hmm. I tend to choose kind of like party games for my Latin students. So something like just one, uh, works really well if you have like a class set of whiteboards and, you know, you can give them mm -hmm. the names of gods or like characters from the stories they've been reading or like nouns that you can describe really easily or like an animal maybe. Um, and then they, you know, have to write a word in Latin to like try to get the other person to guess what it is. So right. that works really well. Um, I actually just picked up a mm -hmm. copy of Green Team Wins today because I thought that you could easily turn it into like the Greens win, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. And uh, maybe <laughs> like just make the cards something a bit different. Does that make sense? And uh, see if I can get it like mm -hmm. into Latin. And I also have a Latin translation of, um, of uh, Love Letter. They got lost in a data crash and I need to like redo that. Oh, yeah. I feel like yeah, um, those are all like party. Party games were great. Yeah, um, like in a history class, I've done like a wits and wagers type thing where you ask them just questions about you know, like how many lines are in the Iliad or you know, cool things like that. And 
Yeah, those work really good. And of course, Pictionary is the all-time classic for that sort of thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Pictionary is always a winner. Um, that's, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think that um, commercial games do have a lot to offer us in general. But, you know, I mean, you're, you are essentially a working game designer. Um, so what are your current designs that you're working on for your classroom? And then also, do you make your designs more widely available? Or are they just something that you do for your classes with no wider publication? Uh, okay, so... So currently, um, I'm mostly just refining things. So um, I do want to revisit my kind of sleeping gods hack thing and figure out what is the, the core that really works for that. And, um, and what, so therefore, what parts do I want to keep? How can I make the sailing around the Eastern Mediterranean, uh, you know, a little simpler? What I really liked about that is that, you know, I threw them in the Eastern Mediterranean and so they get to sail around and they get to learn the geography and things like that, which is, you know, not something typically done in Latin, which focuses so much on Italy. Um, and, you know, and then you can throw in mythology, right? Like they can, you know, interact with ISIS down in Egypt. And so there's lots of cool stuff there that I don't quite want to give up. And I, they really like doing the, the Latin puzzle games. And so I want to figure out a nicer way to, to merge those two together without driving myself crazy in preparation each day. Um, <laughs> <laughs> at, at the moment, like I just had to quit the game about halfway through because I was like, man, I'm burning out. This is way too much work. Uh, so I need to, you know, that's usually my problem is how can I not burn out uh, or get too overloaded doing this sort of thing? Um, that That's the big problem with play testing your own games. Um, yeah. And in terms of, are they available publicly? I, uh, at the moment, yeah. So, um, anybody who contacts me, I'm happy to, um, share my, um, materials with, uh, I usually get, uh, questions about the Republic of Rome game. The problem with my games is I feel is that, uh, my, the, the, where, where I teach them and where I use them kind of has funky numbers, right? So like a 50 person myth class, is kind of unusual and uh, is not the sort of thing that happens at a high school, for example, or even in most colleges where these myth classes are, you know, 500 or 200 or whatever uh, students in size. So the, the scaling is where it gets a little bit tricky. My Republic of Rome class can scale between 35 and 50. Um, so that's kind of limited, limited to, in many ways, um, intermediate level history classes at a small liberal arts college. I have uh, created rules so that small uh, classes can use it. And so I've had uh, at least one um, teacher at a high school level um, employ it for a 12 person Latin uh, advanced Latin class where they kind of would inter interweave it with their Latin instruction. Um, and maybe it's been used, maybe I'm misrepresenting it. It might've been a, um, uh, what do you call that? Like uh, um, a class that, um, well, like where you can, you have a selection of different topics you can pick. And oh, like independent sort of study. Just, yeah, um, or just like a, an option for, uh, a, 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 like a student could take, you know, marketing or they could oh, take an elective. this class. Yeah, elective, thank you. <laughs> I couldn't think of that word. So he, he may have offered it as an elective, 
uh, student, his name is um, uh, Gabe Baker, who's done that at the high school level a couple of times, I think. Um, and he's had good success with that. So I'm optimistic that the, even at a, a smaller level, high school class could do it. Um, and Gabe was, he's, you know, he's like us, he's an avid gamer. Uh, and really likes this sort of stuff. And so he has no problem kind of playing the role of a GM um, and uh, or a game master. So, uh, so it can work with that. And then the trick would be, I would really love to make it available for really big classes. And so working on that kind of scalability is something I need to work on. Um, but yeah, I'm happy to always share what I have. And I've been told a couple of times to submit it to uh, a publisher. And so I'm right now uh, weighing that. Yeah. But my problem also is like, uh, I don't know. Like, you know, I just, I just kind of want to create it for me. And so, yeah, if people want it, yeah, come get it. But I'm not sure, you know, there's always these kind of things you, I've, I've published academically. And so, you know, I appreciate it, but it's not fun really <laughs> to, to <laughs> jump through that extra hoop of, uh, you know, I like getting a paper to where I need it to be, but I don't enjoy that, that next level of getting it published as much. So I guess that's, that's on me. No, that's actually really fair though. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> if, uh, if somebody's listening to this podcast and they think, you know, I want to try this in my classroom or like, I want to try this with some sort of group that I'm the leader or teacher of, um, how you, you mentioned earlier, like, oh, just jump in and get started. But if you're going to give some more concrete advice about that, how do people who want to incorporate games into whatever educational setting they're in start? <clears throat> yeah. Uh, so the first way I think you should start is simply play a lot of games, right? Like board games, try out a role-playing game, things like that. Like that'll give you an idea of all the stuff that's out there. And there are so many, like, it's a, these are, you know, I grew up where Monopoly and Scrabble was really basically it. And there's just so much out there. The mechanics are so interesting. The themes are so fascinating. Um, and these, they're so smooth and elegant now. And they're done in like an hour, hour and a half of even really, really good, very tough games. Um, so that's where I would just start is simply playing a lot of games. And then, um, and then, you know, you'll see what it is that you're interested in. And Reacting to the Past has a lot of really cool titles. So I would look through their title list if you're looking for role immersion type games. And those scale generally pretty well between 12 and 30, maybe a little bit less on the top end often. Um, and, you know, seeing uh, what that's about. They have a very tight process that is applicable to, across all the different games that they have. and. Um, yeah, and then other than that, uh, yeah, then, you know, those are kind of the ways I would recommend getting started. And then talk to people, right? I'm, I'm terrible at this, but I like to tell people this, that, you know, ask for help, see what people are trying and what's working for them. Um, and uh, and they always give good advice and, you know, uh, they'll let you know what works. So is, I don't, I'm not sure, is that is that kind of practical enough for... Oh yeah, I think so. For a starting point. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and then I have another question for you. That's just a fun question, which is if you're going to recommend a board game about ancient Rome to people who are listening, since I know you've probably played several, uh, what is your, mm -hmm. what is your favorite? Not just playing with class, but like just to play. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, 
Well, let's see. How much time do we have here? Um, <laughs> I really like the game Charioteer. Um, that's a brand new one out of GMT. Um, I just feel like it, it gives you the feeling of these chariot races, but without, like, they've always felt bogged down in violence and, and fighting that kind of slowed it down. So I really like that one. Um, I really also like um, the uh, Hadrian's Wall, which is mm -hmm. um, kind of a draw and you draw a card and it's almost solitaire in a way is where you're like trying to figure out how to chain all these different things. So you create the coolest little kind of mini town at, at Hadrian's Wall. That one's really slick. Um, I really like uh, the gameplay of Trajan it is a good game. The Feld um, one? Yeah, the Feld game. Yep. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, let's see. And uh, Pandemic Fall of Rome, actually, that's my kind of, if, uh, that's one I always start with each semester. It's like when we do the gaming, it's like, uh, I really like co-op games. I like the theme of that one. And it's relatively simple. You work together, you can help each other out. So it's a nice introduction to people who aren't familiar with these kinds of designer games too. So, yeah. Fantastic. I'm sure so, I'm omitting a bunch that are, I'm going to smack myself in the head for later, but yeah. That's okay. That's what notes are for. Um, <laughs> uh, and if people want to get in touch with you uh, to ask about your games or just kind of follow your work, where can you be found online? Uh, basically email is, is the most reliable bit. I'm still working on um, uh, getting like my LinkedIn page reasonable, but it's still kind of outdated. So yes, definitely just contact me uh, via email. And that's, uh, it's available on Bowdoin website, mnerdall at bowdoin.edu. Um, yeah, and I would love to hear from anybody and share what I've got. And uh, yeah, before I look into actually genuinely trying to publish these things for real. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so I can be found anywhere online as Beyond Solitaire for those of you who are out there listening. Hopefully we know this. Uh, but Mike, thank you so much for for coming on the podcast and sharing um, your experiences with us. This has been really cool. It's given me a lot of ideas for my own classroom. Yeah, cool. Thank you very much for having me. And yeah, uh, let me be honest, you know, just anybody who wants to. I, I love talking games. I love, you know, explaining both the, the glories and the pitfalls that I've experienced. So, and I hope everyone will just, just try it. Like, I can't tell you how many people that have even done games that I would not want to do and they've had such a great time with them. And so, yeah. Yeah. So everyone out there, do it, play games in all the settings. <laughs> do it. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> so Mike, thanks again, everybody out there, please like subscribe, comment, ask questions, and most of all, happy gaming.